Good morning and welcome to the Snake River Live podcast. It's Monday. It's the 5th of June. Welcome. This is, uh, of course, the podcast uh, anchored in my home away from home at Camp Geiger. Thank you so much for listening. Debating really what to kind of start talking about today. The news cycle is slowing down. We do have uh, Supreme Court cases that are coming up that... um, Frankly, the the left, well, the left meaning meaning um, the government establishment is actually deeply terrified of, and that is regarding the potential of severe limiting of the uh, administ- uh, administration's ability, any administration, Republican or Democrat, their ability to widely interpret uh, statute. It's very important to understand this. This is, this is uh, you know, uh, Vivek and uh, Ramaswamy, that, yes, I know, If you, let me know if you're sick of hearing about him. Uh, I don't think that's going to change anything with me, but, but, um, It's it's really important to understand. He's he's kind of centering his whole campaign around uh, the concept of of uh, the administrative state. I mean, right now we know that President Biden is a, a pure puppet, not only of the administrative state, which he is, but by the handlers of that state, meaning the progressive movement. Yes. To critique the administrative state is not to critique the vast majority of federal employees that just go around doing their jobs. However, however, there are a good number of those, especially once you get into management, that uh, or into outside of field offices where people actually interact. But the people that make policy, what do they do? They simply make policy and they create new policy. And creating new policy requires new people, or not new people, but more people. So they hire more people, and what do they do? They immediately turn around and start creating new policy. And so it it blossoms or explodes. Explodes is probably a better description of it. All during, you know, the 2008 meltdown, the uh, uh, federal government did not have shrinkage like the rest of the world did uh, during the malaise of uh, President Obama's term where we slowly came out of that the federal government did not have any pullback Uh, even under President Trump you know who likes to trumpet how he took on the state and there's no question that he did reduce regulation but he didn't reduce it nearly enough he did, wasn't able to to and and honestly, and the lib has been here before on this. You know, you get a full blown uh, libertarian anarcho capitalist libertarian in there. Um, the ability to actually start cutting stuff uh, is going to be resisted, not only by the administrative state but by the lobbyists that 
rely on that administrative state to provide cover for them to work with work these giant corporations against their competitors uh, you're going to, you would hear screaming like you would not believe if you were to try to for example one of the ones that the republicans always talk about cutting is the department of education and uh, ramaswamy is no different um, you know simply put it's it's how do you go about doing that he he has some ideas and, and the thing is he's putting forward those ideas he's putting forward those ideas his ideas regarding uh, handling the situation in Ukraine and his read on Ukraine by the way I think is is fairly accurate we, we've talked about it here before of course that the um, liberal establishment the progressive establishment including Republicans by the way so the DC establishment they love the war in Ukraine it it pumps money into defense manufacturers it it uh, gives a rally around the flag you know although why we're rallying around the ukrainian flag and allowing our country to turn into a third world hellhole um by the way that was a book by ann coulter eerily eerily accurate um why we're doing that i don't know but I don't know. I don't know what we're doing, but he has a plan because who's the winner right now? The winner right now in Ukraine is China. Russia is depleting their weapons, their arsenals. The United States is depleting our arsenal. And of course, there'll be people that say, yes, but we're not sending them frontline stuff. Okay. Uh, assuming that that's accurate, which I'm not going to assume, but let's assume for a moment that that's accurate. Just for a moment. So we're not sending them the front line. What do you think the guard uses? And what do you think we're going to fall back on if we get into a, a conventional warfare with an enemy? You know, where are all those weapons going to come from? And we have to ask those questions. And those questions are not easy questions to answer. What it means is humongous spending. See, the Republicans, all they wanted was defense spending. They didn't want to actually cut spending. Kevin McCarthy should have said 2019. That's where he should have started from, playing hardball. Instead, he was playing softball, and Biden was playing hardball. And so guess what? Kevin McCarthy can claim some sort of a victory, but it's a loss for you and for me. In the meantime, China, of course, wins. By the way, um, we'll talk about this in a little bit. I'm going to have to take a little break, not a commercial break, of course, but I just need to stop recording because I've got things to do, but I will come back and uh, talk about that in just a little bit. And welcome back to the Lib. Thank you again for listening. And uh, sorry for the 
disjointed two-part discussion because instead of having that constant even flow, you have a half and then you have another half. Welcome back. Thank you. I wanted to talk about a number of things that are happening in the legal world. I mean, we're going to expecting all sorts of Supreme Court decisions that will have an impact on the government and the government's ability to control you. But I wanted to talk about something that ultimately may make it to the Supreme Court. Um, the Attorney General's or Attorneys General of Missouri and Louisiana, along with another of states, another a number of other states, are suing the Biden administration regarding violations of the First Amendment, specifically free speech issues. And if you think that if you recall, we had the Twitter files releases over the, the past winter. If you think that those were big, which they indeed were, you're only looking at the tip of the iceberg. They are nothing compared to what is coming out from the um, this court case. The amount of effort that the Biden administration has put into suppressing your free speech because the Twitter files only had involved Twitter and only on the very narrow issues that they were released on. But we now know, thanks to emails released under the discovery in this case, which the judge has um, really excoriated the Biden administration over what they are doing and what they are what they have done is immense. The judge asking the uh, Biden uh, lawyers about free speech and, and what limits are there if. If somebody has an, uh, uh, an opposing opinion on COVID, well, it depends. Hate speech, it depends. No absolutes on free speech from the Biden administration. We're not talking about, by the way, yelling fire in a crowded movie house. I'll be right back. And welcome back. Such is the life when you're actually trying to get stuff done and you're taking a few minutes to try to uh, keep a promise to the listeners. Thank you so much. Um, back to Missouri versus Biden. Thousands of emails. And while the, the government, the federal government, will sit and will tell you that they never limited speech, that these private companies, Twitter, Meta, Google, Amazon, are the ones that limited speech. The pressure put on them, and remember, these companies are all very familiar with following dictates from um, governments, and they have no issue in certain parts of the world in squelching free speech and so they know how to do it 
They're experts at it. And so when the Biden administration, or any administration for that matter, my guess is that, I mean, this all started really under uh, Donald Trump. Let's make sure that we are um, very clear on that, that all the COVID crap started under President Trump. In fact, President Trump is trying, is going after uh, Governor DeSantis, um, trying to compare him to Cuomo as if that's even possible. The stupidity of it is just immense. But, but they understand that when a government says to do something, that it for them to operate, it is really in their best interest to do it. And that's a tragedy. It's a tragedy for you. It's a tragedy for me. It's a tragedy for people that disagree with the prevailing cult doctrine. Whether it's COVID, whether it's transgenderism, whether it's war in Ukraine, whether it's election interference and denial. By the way, Vivek, uh, I know I mentioned him before, and you just better get used to it because the more I read, the more I like. Um, Vivek has put out there that he'd like to put a requirement on on uh, younger people. To me, I think it's a, actually should be a universally applied, uh, not a poll tax. No, I'm against any kind of tax. But I think that a civics test is absolutely critical. For voters to be able to pass. I mean, we ask people who want to be U.S. citizens to pass a test. Now, I'm not saying that we should put them through that rigorous test, which anybody that has come up through the public education system should be able to pass in their sleep, but can't. And, by the way, if you make it universally applicable, it's constitutional. You can't single out anyone to vote or not vote. You know, all the poll taxes, the literacy tests and everything that were done back in the, uh, when the Democrats were running the southern states, you know, to try to keep blacks from voting. Just to be clear, that's who it was, was the Democrats. They haven't changed their stripes, by the way. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned last time the case, Harvard. Uh, that the Supreme Court should be releasing any day now is about Asian Americans being discriminated against by uh, one of them is Harvard, which is a private university, but does receive federal funding through uh, financial aid. But also, uh, University of North Carolina, the cases are being considered together because University of North Carolina is a public university. And this could finally end the nightmare that was created by um, Sandra Day O'Connor, nominated and supported by, nominated um, by President Reagan, supported by uh, Arizona uh, Senator then um, Barry Goldwater, former 
uh, nom uh, former Republican nominee for President of the United States, a, a known and established libertarian. Um, Sandra Day O'Connor in a Michigan in the case of Michigan argued that hopefully one day we would be able to get rid of the need for um, essentially quotas. They don't call them that, of course, because quotas are illegal. But stacking the deck against against uh, merit, because that's what it's doing. I mean, Asians for Asians to be able to get into elite schools in some of these elite schools because the way they've written their rewritten their admission policies, Asians have to essentially score 115 percent on the SATs. They have to be involved in their communities to the tune of three or four hundred hours a week, um, etc. So only only a small percentage of people. Um, a couple of the cases involved were if that student had been, you know, their odds of getting into Harvard were very low, but but if they'd had their scores and they were white, their odds would have been much, much better. And if they had been black, they would have not only have been let in, but probably given full ride academic and we're not doing people any favors, letting them give, granting them admissions to a school that should have that is renowned for its rigorous standards. Now, grade in, grade inflation is rampant throughout the academic community uh, because why would you go to a school that actually requires you to do something? Meritocracy in general in this nation is at risk. You see it, and we've argued about that in the, the current administration as well as even past administrations. You know, people who are selected not because of their ability, where their ability is an afterthought, but because of their skin color, their gender, their or gender identity, or sexual orientation, nationality, ethnicity, etc. That's why Republicans should be concerned if Joe Biden was to bow out. Um, if the Democrats were smart, they would get him out before we got full-blown into campaign season and let Kamala Harris be the incumbent because she would be very difficult to beat. I mean, after all, think about what that means if you vote against the first black South Asian woman running for president. Somebody who, by the way, was promoted into the, the state-wide stage of California and then the national stage by being involved with the then mayor of San Francisco. That is her claim to fame that you don't hear about too frequently. Would be very difficult to beat, even though she makes Joe Biden look like a genius. Current Joe Biden looked like a genius. But she's there for one reason, because candidate Biden 
promised that his running mate would be a woman of color. His first nominee to the bench was going to be a woman of color. And so you think about what you're doing, assuming that they use meritocracy at all. And if uh, Ketanji Brown is, is the best progressive black female uh, justice or judge available, then there is bigger problems with the education system than what I would have suspected. Someone who's so cowardly they cannot answer a question. Because you might offend somebody. There's a lot of other things that are going on. Oh, one thing I did want to cover before I left is left is in a panic because if there's a Republican president, whether it's Trump or whether it's somebody else, all these people that were involved in this conspiracy to get Trump are probably going to have to face the music. Now, as a reminder, before the Durham report came out, We know from the Inspector General. The Inspector General referred Peter Strzok, the agent that was involved in the Crossfire Hurricane, as well as as early on in the Mueller report. Also, and, um, McCabe, I can't remember his first name right now, doesn't matter, who was fired the day before he was eligible to retire. Of course, uh, under Biden administration, they, they let him come back, work a day so that he could get his retirement. Both of those two were referred to the Department of Justice for prosecution for lying. The Inspector General has no authority to pursue criminal cases, but they were both referred to DOJ in the Inspector General's report for lying. James Comey in the Inspector General's report, was reported as being untruthful. All three of them, and myriads more, lied in regards to the Russian collusion delusion. I think that's all I'm going to say about that because they are worried that you clean house at DOJ because no matter any Republican first day, obviously Garland's gone because he's political appointee, but fire the FBI director because the guy is an idiot. Well, he's not an idiot. He's a shill for the Democratic Party along with, I mean, Garland you expect because that's a political appointment. But the head of the FBI is supposed to be above politics, and there's no question that he is not. We would mentioned last time, I think, if not, just wanted to point out, Hunter, Hunter, you know, they're talking. I read an article the other day, I wish I could remember it, that said that the Hunter's lawyers, if they pursue the gun charge, 
are going to use a Second Amendment defense, meaning that the law that prohibited Hunter from owning a firearm. Now, mind you, these are the people that argue for gun control. But these same people are going to argue that the law that prohibits somebody who's a drug user from purchasing a firearm is unconstitutional under under uh, Heller, uh, Heller and, and uh, McDonald. Interesting take. Don't necessarily disagree with him, but I would point out Hunter would, uh, the charges brought to Hunter because they don't actually have any evidence of the gun. I mean, they found the gun, Secret Service went and dug it out of the trash. But the charges that would be brought against Hunter do not stem from him owning the firearm. They stem from him lying on the background check. And that's a felony. Has nothing to do with him actually receiving the firearm, even though as a course of him creating felony perjury in writing, he got the gun. But it's because he lied that they would charge him. And that lie carries a 10-year sentence. Now, I'd love for it to be overturned, but we're not talking about him owning the gun. We're talking about him lying on the form to get the gun. It's the Snake River Lib. My life matters. Does yours?